come and fuck this headphone splitter. Oh yeah. With my tiny needle dick. How <laughs> <laughs> was that? Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Enjoy trying to boost that through the game. Advantage me! Once again aboard Beef Station, join us as we hurtle through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. How you doing, boy? Good. We've just <laughs> actually. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm One. retconning my response. Look at me, J.K. Rowling of podcasting. Uh-oh. You're tired, and you spent the last 45 minutes fucking yourself in the ass. <laughs> I'm looking in the Welcome mirror of Erised, baby, and it's it's just me sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and it is frosted, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to all the new listeners who decided that this one to be the one to jump in on. <laughs> the frosted looking glass is a very good title. <laughs> <laughs> For our up late version of the show. For this episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! All right. Um, <laughs> should we talk about the brief little um, off-air uh, town meeting we had before the show? Yeah, we, our, our board meeting. Yeah. We, <laughs> well, I was pre- I was reasonably I was very interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like we had a forty-five-minute-long discussion about how we're going to change up the show. That's going to result in very little no actual. Change. Ch- yeah, no, <laughs> no, no changes at this point in time. Just times. like every meeting ever. Yeah. <laughs> no progress. No change. I feel like we've accomplished nothing, which is perfect. Yeah. Um, no, we is everyone cool with doing what we've already been doing? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> I think what this ultimately boils down to is we'd love for more people to listen to the show, and we feel like one of the main problems is that we spend about an hour and a half like spoiling the f- spoiling the fuck out of movies often, yeah. or perhaps not explicitly saying that we won't do that. Yep. Um, and so we thought that for this episode and our episodes in the future. If we're going to spoil no, a movie... Don't, don't fucking... <laughs> don't make any sweeping commitments, man. <laughs> we will always... <laughs> we just, we just going to... Forever s- until I die, <laughs> we will not spoil any movies. I did not spoil life, that on the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which president did I just impersonate? I mean, I feel like the problem is that it was Bill Clinton, but the voice you were doing it was, was a Nixon. cross between Clinton and Nixon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not have. Oh, yeah, that's right. That I did not have relations was, was Clinton. Yeah, you know, um, Bill Clinton as well. Here we um, fucking go. When he got in, when he was uh, during his impeachment shit, where he said like, I think there was some statement he said at some point where he said someone asked him directly like, uh, "Is there, there anything?" Never any come on that suit. Uh. <laughs> so right, yeah. So he said, um, so, someone said like, "Oh, is there anything going on between you and this intern?" And he said, "There's nothing going on between me and this woman." And then during his impeachment hearing, his defense of that, which sounded like a lie, was, "It depends on what your definition of is is." Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then he breaks down well, it happened, quite, a, quite it's impressively. Still happening. Yeah, right. About like <laughs> yeah. when I said there is nothing, I meant like right at this very moment. Yeah. Like I'm not fucking her right now. Yeah. I'm here talking to you. How could I be? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I wish I could, but <laughs> I just think it's it's one of those like defenses where you're like, well, it's that's fucking wild. That's that a, horseshit. That a president but I of the United States was like, well, it depends on the meaning of that two-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> the stones on this guy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the fact that he was defensively correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it does <laughs> depend on that. Yep. <laughs> Wait, did he say the fuck? <laughs> Day two, here we go. Uh, uh. Really, what we worked out after like a 20-minute conversation was, maybe we shouldn't spoil the movie at the beginning, so we're going to give a review 
of Us, Jordan Peele's new horror film this week, uh, with the intention of anyone who has or hasn't seen the film, you'll get our impression, we'll still give you the patented beef station sad boy analysis of the film, and you'll get an idea of whether the movie might be worth your while if you haven't seen it, and we're not going to spoil it. Yeah. And then we'll have a little sealed section at the end, we've done it a couple times before, and if you have a look in the description for the show, we're going to time code, I've committed it now, it's an enormous thing for us to do. We're gonna it's, a, it's like one of those... It's one of those 40-second <laughs> enormous pains in the ass yeah. where every time like, we oh, have to yeah. remember to go through... <laughs> when is this? Can't stop talking about the spoiler stuff. <laughs> yeah, so we get, we get a time code in the little description. Hopefully, if you, you use an app where you can just literally click on the time in the description and it'll jump to that. You can skip right past the spoilers if you haven't seen it. Yep. Right. With that, should we get into the news for today? Yes, we shall. Great. Beef bulletin. All right, this week it has been a tremendous pain in the ass researching any news because it's April 2nd, and my word, if people don't know how to play a good practical joke on the internet. So, like, I'll just read you out a few of the fucking hell. A few of the headlines. It's definitely April 1st in the States, so the dust has not settled. So, like, April Fool's is this gift that keeps on giving where it goes for like three fucking days. So, here are just some of the headlines off one website I'm looking at now. Sean the Sheep 2, Farm. Armageddon. Is that real or not? I have no idea. It's 2019. Um, Is that real? I, I don't know. There was an Aquaman 2 trailer that dropped. That was that was a joke. Ha ha ha. Imagine if they made a sequel to a superhero yeah. movie. That will happen. Is no, that? Yeah, of course it will. It'll just... <laughs> that will happen. Ah, it's just a different trailer. You fell for it, you idiot. Um, Screen Rant was uh, particularly... Uh, <laughs> particularly guilty of this where like there were so many fucking headlines um, <laughs> uh, Henry Cavill's Superman mustache pre-CGI photo revealed in Justice League photo <laughs> you try you can't find the photo it's probably not real that's April Fool's. very ha, good you believed it I still don't know if it's real um, <laughs> Avengers Endgame director said Tom Holland what literally wasn't allowed to have a script is that a joke or not we'll never know it's April 1st haha <laughs> you idiot you believed it <laughs> Mark Ruffalo trolls fans on April Fool's with an Avengers Endgame spoiler. Ha! You believed it? You're a moron. Imagine if an actor gave away a spoiler during an interview. Denis Villeneuve directing Cloverfield 4 after June. Ha! You idiot. April Fool's. That's not true. There's no way he'd touch like a fucking... I'm not clicking on Oscar, it. Oscar, please tell me there's no way that Denis Villeneuve <laughs> is directing Cloverfield 4. First, is there a Cloverfield 4? First look at Kevin Hart as Mushu in Mulan remake. Okay. You moron. I'm not April reading Fools. it. Is that not real? I don't know. I'm not clicking on it. I'm not going to fall for it. Oh, wait. Kevin Hart's bad now, isn't he? No, we love Kevin Hart. I reckon no, we, we don't. Wait, I reckon. No, we, no, we don't love Kevin Hart. Cut him whatever's contextually appropriate. I reckon we don't. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, we don't. Both are staying in. And people, <laughs> people cannot choose one or other of your opinions. <laughs> um, no, so it's been, a, it's been a tremendous pain in the ass trying to sift through a, a, a giant vat of shit trying to find news that we can publish. Do you know uh, uh, Denis maintain- Villeneuve had a rib cut out so he could suck his own dick? <laughs> 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 Denis Villeneuve and Michael Jackson. Wow. Oh no! No, you haven't done the right thing there, mate. It was um before Michael Jackson. The people that 
the person that people thought did that was um, Marilyn Manson. Or maybe after. There's like a celebrity every 10 years yeah, who takes, Marilyn a, Manson. Who That's takes the joke a new crown. Of, it's no, funny that think, you just said no, Michael Jackson. People used to think it was Michael Jackson. They said it was like Michael Jackson and Marilyn Manson. Oh, like a, every 10 like, years. Did you know Tutankhamun got a rib to <laughs> so he could suck his own dick? Yeah. Like every 10 years, a new celebrity takes the crown of can suck his own dick. Like I'm, I'm surprised that Fuck, it wasn't like good. Nick Cage. It's like etched into the sarcophagus. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you know, Sinatra had a river. <laughs> and the true art. I already went to Tutankhamun, baby. You're going to have to name a historical figure before that. Oh, fuck. Did you know Nebuchadnezzar? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Tutankhamun's mom had a... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit. Beef bullet. <laughs> Taika Waititi joins Ryan Reynolds in video game movie Free Guy. Um, he's so Taika Waititi this is joined the, one where the cast. He's an NPC, right? Ryan Reynolds plays an NPC. Yeah, boy, yeah. Taika Wait- Fuck yeah! So Taika Waititi, <laughs> so he's not directing director. It. He's, oh, okay. he's in the cast. He's acting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, for those of you who might not know, Taika Waititi directed uh, Thor Ragnarok and Hunt for the Wilder People yeah. and that boy. other one. Um, Contentiously <laughs> about yes. Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. Oh. But he also has a fairly well-established career in comedy acting. So the fact that he's in that is actually super exciting. Do we know who's directing that yet? I don't even know it's true anymore, man. (laughs) Uh, No, hold on. Um, (laughs) No, this article doesn't say who's directing it in the first paragraph, so I'm about to give up. Yeah, I was about to say. Sorry. Uh, no, Oscars of the patented beef station uh, <laughs> Samsung control station <laughs> <laughs> Oh man Well it looks like it's just going to be you Making up April Fool's <laughs> headlines For the rest of uh, That's right. the 20 that's minute news That's what you can do segment. now Is just making up some completely plausible stories What Do you want them to like Watermark when it's an April Fool story. No, it's just like this new satire fucking website that uh, it's not even good satire. It's just a believable lie. Yeah, and that, like, that oh, sucks. You idiot. Because the funny ones were always like um, Michael Bay reviews that he prepares for a day of directing by drinking sheep's blood or some <laughs> shit. Like <laughs> that. That's a good story, but um, if I may say so myself. <laughs> But, th- yeah, the stuff where it's like, oh, it turns out Batman's going to be in the next Marvel movie. It's like, well, yeah. yeah, we live in hell. That might happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a story here about how Dumbo has come out and isn't... It, it's it's successful, but it's not <laughs> Dumbo's as... Dumbo's su- come out. <laughs> but it's not as successful... Yeah, Dumbo's gay now. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbo and that Mushu dragon thing that Kevin Hart's playing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, Kevin uh, Hart's... Kevin Hart's definitely been cancelled, dude. Yeah. It's it's one of those non-stories where, like, it's only made $50 million, but it's yeah. not quite in its first week, which isn't quite <laughs> yeah. as wildly successful as Disney has, as Disney has hoped, but it's still, like, one of the more successful live-action movies. Do you reckon they've got, like, this, this ranking board at Disney <laughs> where they just have, like, the GDP of every African country... <laughs> And then, like, they just Here's have one of those, like, boy. one of those, like, slide in, slide out boards with, like, the <laughs> titles of their movies. And it's just like, oh, man, Dumbo's below Ghana. Fucking <laughs> cut it. Cut it. <laughs> hey, Christopher Nolan, would you say your new movie's more of a Niger or a Tanzania? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Next story here I got is uh, one of those stories where they sort of go back on something Christopher Nolan said recently in an interview that's like, 
about a movie he made way long ago. In oh, this yeah, case, okay. it's a new little insight into how he got a bit more creative control and sort of doing what he wanted to do with the first Batman movie. And he was t- talking about Batman how... Um, begins. Batman Begins. Yeah, yeah. talking about how... Um, or maybe like things he studied and um, things he thought might have been successful in a film. And talking about how he thought it was interesting... Um, about when in an origin story film superheroes put on their capes and like become the superhero that you're watching in the movie and he thought it was an interesting technique to go for and it was one that he copied from the 1978 super superman movie where like it's not for like an hour into the movie before the superhero actually becomes the superhero on screen right and was talking about how he sort of used that as an argument for saying no it's actually a good idea because it happened in the superhero movie and it was a cool idea um I think it works too. well. It, it avoids kind of the Captain Marvel thing where they, they just like are this kind of shell character that could exist whenever and, 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 and their them. human form could yeah. be whoever. Like one of the great things about the Nolan Batman films as a white man is that it portrays a white man <laughs> who undergoes some form of hardship and then as a result of, directly as a result of that hardship becomes this yeah. stronger character that reflects that hardship directly, right? Whereas I I feel like um, Captain Marvel's character doesn't reflect at all the hardships that she has had to go through. Not really, no. I mean, you sort of find out about all the hardship through flashbacks later, which makes no sense. Right. But um, yeah, I don't know. Not much of a news story, but it was an interesting article, a discussion talking about superhero movies that launch you straight into it versus superhero movies that back it up with with a bit of backstory before they sort of become the hero. And I think it works a lot better in terms of Investing you in the character. Do you reckon Heath Ledger's Joker is a character? So obviously he's been. D- he- okay. Greatest superhero villain. Do you time. know? Yeah, I, I actually would be inclined to agree. I'm not uh, by any means an expert, but I, I, I reckon I'd agree. And it's a giant I, I, bat finding a giant clown and somehow they made it terrifying. I certainly think that Heath Ledger's Joker is yeah, that's what I meant. probably the best yeah. superhero villain. But. Do you think that so like in the same way that I think Batman so Batman is a very uh realistic portrayal of like a human being trying to take whatever action they can. Like you could feasibly anyone could feas- feasibly yeah. do this. And it's like yeah. he can't fly on his own so he has to invent a technology where he flies and he's got like a billion dollars so he can do that. And he has yeah. all sorts of issues with like fucking bats but he's also been like he's been crushed as a person and his interpersonal life struggles as a result of it like he's, he's yeah. got complex character development that directly informs his superhero persona yeah do you think that do you think that the the, the joker's supervillain persona is more reflective of him as a person or do you think that the fact that he is a supervillain who is kind of like that chaotic bad chaotic evil villain character influenced like what his backstory must have been first and i'm asking in terms of what you reckon the creative process might have been because i think this is probably answered pretty strongly in the comic books well there is i don't know there is literally a comic book that gives an answer to this question killing joke yeah the killing joke right which actually you read that yeah i have yeah oh cool so the killing joke you're a rare person who (laughs) might be able to answer this question i will see the problem is that i don't necessarily know no, I do know. Batman's really old. It's like 40s or something. And The Killing Joke, I think it was a Grant something, something written comic book. It was, he's famous I'll for... I'll cut you in with Microsoft Sam with the right answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, he... Um, I think that the guy that wrote Killing Joke is the same guy that wrote Watchmen. Um, and Fuck, he's really? And he's like really dark. Damn. Yeah, I got I got to read for that. Like, um, It's really good. And he, he's famous for like... 
yeah, it's just just being dark and generally kind of impressionistic in the way he writes stories. Yeah, and I think that the Killing Joke is um, famous for one because it shows the Joker's origin story, but also famous because this guy like didn't give a fuck and just like changed a whole bunch of stuff about the Batman universe permanently. Like he made the Joker's origin story be where he hospitalized and permanently paralyzed Gordon's uh, Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Yeah, and I think Commissioner Gordon's daughter and the daughter used to be Batgirl, and now she's stuck in a wheelchair, oh. and so he like permanently like changed all this shit about the story and about the universe. And I think in that comic book, um, the Joker was just this like down on his luck stand-up comedian or amateur magician or something. I guess comedian makes more sense, and he was like blackmailed into participating. And helping this like mafia style mob gang commit some robbery in this big factory. And he falls into a vat of acid and has his skin all permanently disfigured and bleached. Right. Which is why he looks like... So in in the comic, he's not wearing makeup. His skin's all acid burns and bleach. Um, and he becomes like bitter and twisted and psychotic because of the pain that's caused by like washing in this vat of acid or whatever. Right. Um, and I think that's how the origin story of the Joker comes about. So I think it really was like uh, this crazy comic book writer dude who I can't remember the name of, um, looking at a character and creating a backstory to make that more realistic. Right. But I think that like comic books are so like there's so many different conflicting stories and so many different comic books from Marvel and DC and everything that like you could very realistically get like eight different interpretations of the Joker on the table and sort of explain why they all kind of contradict each other in subtle ways about different traits of the character, the Joker. So I think that the answer to your question is probably more that people have gotten a general sensation of who the Joker is over the last 50 years of the Joker being a character in popular culture and that every single interpretation of the Joker is influenced by the previous one. And so you can see like elements of the Jack Nicholson Joker, for example, in Heath Ledger's performance and elements of all the other Jokers and elements of the comic book Joker and Heath Ledger's performance in a way that shows that like they're not just going back to the straight source material and being like, right, what is it? Everyone kind of thinks they know who the Joker is because it's been a part of pop culture for so long that like um, the Joker, who the Joker is, is this crazy, mad, psychopath clown might not even necessarily be represented in the comic books. It's like every yeah. interpretation of the Joker feeds on itself mm. and sort of like... Make, everyone thinks they know who the Joker is even though, even though, even though no one could point to the comic book that creates the Joker and explains that he's a psychopath clown. Yeah. Everyone just sort of like has this impression of who the Joker is and that general impression influences how the Joker is depicted. How is that for a, de- <laughs> a detailed No, answer? that's good. Um, I, I think it's really, that's a really interesting kind of perspective and, and, and answer to the question. I, I like the idea that um, a, a supervillain can be rebooted or a superhero for that matter, can be rebooted kind of based on the heuristics of what that well-known popular character yeah. is rather than like specifically like, right, well, what's canon? It's like, well, yeah. fuck what's canon. It's, what does a character feel like? It's also Yeah, it's also like if someone had to play Batman, they wouldn't have to go back and read the comic books. You'd know who Batman is. You'd be able to write down a whole fucking page about who Batman mm. is and how Batman should be portrayed on screen just based off other shit you've seen. Yeah. And- no matter how faithful you are, you have to be more to like the original text. You have to be more faithful to like 
what people think Batman is. Yeah, okay. And similarly, I think that like every new interpretation of the Joker has to sort of take what people generally accept as who the character is and then give their interpretation of it in a way that's meaningful and interesting, mm. which I think is going to be very exciting considering we're about to get Joaquin Phoenix's version of the Joker and the new origin story that's coming out. Yeah, because famously... seems very killing jokey. No one has played the Joker since... Heath Ledger played him. <laughs> Not even Jared no Leto. No one's played no. him. No, Jared Leto's <laughs> part of part of no one. Interesting, one of the people who's played the Joker the least since <laughs> yeah, Heath Ledger. Absolutely. Me and Jared Leto, one thing we yeah. got in common, haven't we've played the Joker. Portrayed the Joker in Hollywood films exactly as much. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um just absolutely. the stones on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> the stones on that guy. To say no <laughs> to betraying the Joker multiple times. Ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. Because I, I guess that's... The the reason why I find that really interesting is that I, I feel yeah, like... Sorry, if you could justify that, that'd be good. But no, you know, you know how I shit on Marvel films for like not having an internal logic I've, a lot? I've never noticed, to be honest. Yeah, the idea of him creating a character that like... I mean, like, yeah, they fall in acid and they don't die or whatever and blah, blah, blah. So, like, bad stuff happens to them. They get disfigured and they're, they're left with, like, yeah. awful pain, probably traumatic stress disorder and all sorts of psychological things that exist in the real world <laughs> that happen to real people. The fact that that then generates this kind of extraordinary villain is really compelling and a great example of, like, reflexive storytelling where, you know, you take this this thing that already exists and sort of break it down to its constituent ele- elements and, and rebuild it in a slightly different way or whatever, like a reboot. But yeah, that doesn't fall prey to the same awful storytelling conventions that so many of these Marvel films do nowadays. So, uh, yeah, it's not that... I think that that goes a fair way to justifying, like, I don't hate comic book stuff because I'm really compelled by the idea of that. Um but they never fucking go to that level of depth. In oh, it just seems like the same movie over and over again. Like it just seems like if Where's you watch the next Watchmen, man. Yeah, <laughs> film, um, film. Yeah, Watchmen. Film. Watchmen was pretty good, but the the graphic novel. I'm not much of a comic book guy, but the graphic novel Watchmen is so good. Yeah, um, and it's pretty. It's pretty wanky, but it's also like <laughs> it's great. The fun. graphic novel, f- <laughs> the Watchmen film was really great. I own that. Like, I, I really, really like yeah. that film. Incidentally, the only good film that Zack Snyder's ever done. I liked Sucker Punch. And Zack Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I do not like Zack Snyder in general, but I liked <laughs> Sucker Punch and I yeah. like Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're both good fun. Yeah. Um, the last bit of uh, news here I have is probably isn't going to get as much mileage as that one, but it's just that the Tom and Jerry. I'll do my best. It's, it's rumored that the Tom and Jerry movie is going to cast Peter Dinklage as the male lead, <laughs> and I thought, like, what do you mean male lead? <laughs> Tom, Sorry, like, it's Tom or Jerry. The fuck on. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not- Will Peter Dinklage be playing the cat or? <laughs> The mouse. <coughs> Wrong. Which of those two male leads? <laughs> Wrong, you idiot. Peter Dinklage will be well, playing fuck the, me. the male antagonist who is obviously Terrence. <laughs> Some human dude in the film. <laughs> I would argue that's that's not that's not a lead character. <laughs> <laughs> 
If Peter Dinklage isn't playing Tom or Jerry, that's a misleading headline. Who We've is been this? April is this Screen Fools Rant again? Is this Screen Rant? <laughs> Fuck you, Screen. Never rant. fucking take me to Screen Rant ever again. <laughs> That's a bullshit headline. They made a goddamn fool of you. That's an for antagonist sure. is never a lead. <laughs> Let me be clear: the Joker, not a lead. Not a lead. Not a lead. Absolutely not. He's a main antagonist. Not a lead. Not a lead. Let me be clear: if you like your male lead, you can keep him. All right, that's that's all. That's all I got for Beef Bulletin this week, boy. Sorry, it's a bit of a bare bones Beef Bulletin, but we managed to summarize the origin story of the Joker for we a good did all right. ten or fifteen minutes. Right. So. You're welcome. That's a 29-minute bare bones. <laughs> um, so. I've got a new segment of the show, which is really just <laughs> um, more of the same when discussion. You can tell when like, <laughs> an idea is spawned from a, from, a, from a phrase name that someone's come up with. And as a result, they think, oh, we got to do that. Yep. Let's do that. What's that new segment called? <laughs> Thank you for asking. This new segment, which I, which I thought of the... The idea for the segment for before I thought of the title, obviously, <laughs> is for <laughs> one more go at it <laughs> for beefness or pleasure. Do the <laughs> do the voice <laughs> for beefness or pleasure. Great, it really came across. No, Mister Bond, I expect you to discuss movies you've seen recently. Uh, um, no, Mister Bond, I expect you to meet Pie. <laughs> May Pyrons would die. <laughs> Fucking Dick Van Dyke over here. That's the name of the episode. Meet Pie Rhymes with Die. <laughs> Boom. Um, so I thought we watch um, occasionally when we're not being strong. No, you idiots. Too. The name of the episode is the movie you saw. No, you idiots. <laughs> it's not. We're changing it, baby. <laughs> and if we can be fucked, we might go back and change the name of every other episode. This so is my far. damn podcast. I'll name it whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> <laughs> we thought, you know what? There's a plenty of movies that we watch that aren't for the show that we don't end up discussing because we don't have a hilarious pun joke related title right. to encompass and envelope the discussion that we're going to have. So these are films that we watched for pleasure rather than for business. <laughs> um, <laughs> this Very good. <laughs> thank you. This week, I um, I also watched, and we're not going to be discussing it for the show outside of this discussion here, um, The Darjeeling Limited. Yep. Because and if I mention it, I want you to shoot me in the head. <laughs> the Darjeeling Limited! The Darjeeling Limited! The Darjeeling Limited! <laughs> no, now Wes Anderson's going to appear and... <laughs> I'm in a bad place. No, shoot um, you symmetrically in front of camera. Because <laughs> um, it's a film that I think you and I watched in cinemas. I have never seen that movie. Right. I watched it with someone in cinemas... <laughs> <laughs> ages ago when it first came out and I don't, I'm not going to be I think it came out in like 2007 so we would have been like 14 or something but it's quite like a deep movie that talks about like the relationship between estranged tea. brothers um, and tea and trains no so it's about whoa whoa What's a train? It's about these these three brothers played by Owen Wilson uh, Adrian Brody and Jason Schwartzman, who are like estranged brothers whose father have just died, and so they've decided to go on like a trip through India on a train called the Darjeeling Limited to become friends again and hang out and sort of bond. Right. And so inherently, there's just this theme, an overarching sort of concept in the film that I feel like I didn't really get when I watched it when I was, I don't know, like 14 or 15. Just about like the bond between brothers and like estranged family members and this sort of weird love that you can have for estranged family members that I can't necessarily relate to, but I didn't really appreciate it when I was watching it the first time. 
And fuck Wes you're, Anderson's a good director, You're man. a pretty dumb adolescent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really came out of my shell and learned to read when I was about 16. And, <laughs> and <laughs> love. Suddenly all them foreign films made sense. Um, no, but like, I think, like, fuck Wes Anderson's so good. And like, yeah. if it's, I feel like it's a film that's not necessarily as well known as his other films. And you really just sort of see him really just get better and better as every film goes but they're all great um this one has a really good soundtrack it's very sort of wes anderson-y like it's, it pulls like all these old like <laughs> quirky 60s folk songs that you've never heard and makes you like love them like you've never loved a song before it's got all these brilliant shots and all these brilliant little bits of filmmaking that i think are often overlooked i think it's a commonly overlooked wes anderson film that is definitely going worth going back to revisit it's funny it's dramatic make you laugh make you cry um a cool thing about the film is that they actually shot it on a train in India. Oh, wow. Because he thought, like, well, we're shooting half of it in India. Why would I then shoot the other half on a green screen back in the studio? We've got a fucking train. So, like, every day they would get on the train, load all the shit on this train, and the train was all set up like a film set. Um, and they'd just drive it out into the desert and back and, like, do, <laughs> do all the shots on the train there. So, like, a lot of it would have been moving shots with a real background. Yeah, it rather is, than, it is, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, um, cool. Really worth seeing. And I think if you haven't seen it, it's on iTunes for like five bucks. I reckon maybe I'm looking really hard at stuff like that. I'm looking really hard at stuff like that. But um, you can fucking tell when like a train scene is when it's not moving in a shot in a studio. Like the the human eye is keen enough. (laughs) And they don't quite do a good enough job of it. That when that sort of stuff is, is authentically shot... Versus when it's artificially created, it makes a real difference. Well, I feel like it's one of those things where people have to hate on CG because you only notice CG when it's bad. I think there's a lot of times where it's probably not shot in re- real and you just don't even think about it and don't even notice it. I'm refusing to acknowledge that point and I think that you're wrong. <laughs> That's definitely the subtext of what you just said. Um, so... Uh, for our maiden launch of this new segment, which is completely different to the rest of the podcast, for beefness or pleasure, um, have you got a film that you watched recently that's not necessarily well, up uh, us? Just before we jump onto that. Absolutely um, not. I, I watched a, a documentary about... Um, I watched a, I actually watched a video essay about um, Wes Anderson's filmography yeah. before he did... Um, kind of like some of his much bigger films, like uh, Moonrise Kingdom and and Grand, uh, Budapest, and Grand Budapest, which was probably the one that really catapulted him into the yeah, like, public absolutely. eye. Um, things like Bottle Rocket uh, and Royal Tenenbaum, te- Royal Tenenbaums, Royal Tenenbaums, and <laughs> Life Aquatic. Rushmore's really good. I was actually a huge fan of Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I only learned many years later that he directed the yeah. um, stop motion. Fantastic Mr. Fox film, which is, I always thought, fucking brilliant. Really, really brilliant and probably gets lost in the wash of it because it's a like children's film based on a Roald Dahl, I think, novel. I think so, yeah. And um, Isle of Dogs as well last year. I watched recently, I'm making up about Isle of Dogs yeah. and about the little... The, all the he must have used a lot of his knowledge from Fantastic Mr. Fox to absolutely, yeah. Inf- influence, yeah. Yeah, and all like the ways they made the puppetry for the little two-minute-long sushi scene. Apparently, that sushi scene, the close-up of like the, the puppet making puppet sushi, took, oh, like, yeah. took like seven months to make. <laughs> yeah, they had to make all these little sushi models because it's one take. Not one take, but it's all stop motion. But they reckon if they'd substituted that, you would have noticed. It's like... You, so, you it had would, yeah. to be like the one sushi model that was modeled to sort of do all the stuff they be wanted cut to up do. With and the, yeah, put it, yeah. yeah. Jesus. So, like, he said, it's interesting because, like, Wes Anderson employs a whole bunch of different... And, like, I reckon you could you could 
break down a lot of filmmakers in this way. Yeah. And they would break down differently to how Wes Anderson does. But, like, that they break down in a way where you can't quite pick specifically what it is they do that's different. But, but you know it's But different. there's a sensation that they give off yeah. that is just completely unique. And there are very few directors that have such an identifiably unique style. I think even someone even Christopher like Nolan, Christopher you Nolan even, was my example. Yeah. Where, like, he does incredible films, but I wouldn't be able to pick... Symmetry is something that I think of when I think of Wes Anderson, where there, there are shots that you know must... Like, you can look at it and pick it from a lineup where it's like, yeah. well, that is cartoonish and symmetrical in a way that must be from a Wes Anderson film. He even has this one font that he uses in loads of films. Yeah, and, and, and the way that he moves the camera where he, he'll have it on a tripod, but it will spin to follow rather than certain like scenarios whatever, rather yeah. than pan, and it will move extremely quickly... Like, say there's a scene in a cafe, you'll move from, like, facing the counter and you'll zip over to the door and someone will walk in. And it will be live camera movement in one take, but the camera will move instead of cutting, which actually is kind of, like, I guess echoing, like, a a sharp turn of the head or whatever. I suppose so. But it creates a really interesting feeling. And even this this video essay, the thesis was, like, Wes Anderson before Wes Anderson got big. I think it was Nerdwriter or or whatever. One of those two. One of those dickheads. One of those, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> Fuck those guys. And um it, it was like even in his early films like Bottle Rocket, which was in nineteen ninety six and I think starred like Owen Wilson, like it was a they big They were college roommates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, wow. <laughs> uh it you can still see those early trends and patterns and habits, which I mm. think is really cool. So yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things before we get off it, um, about Wes Anderson's style is that it never breaks. It rides this fine line between being this fine line between being completely identifiable, but also not breaking you out of the film at all. Like it's something to be charming like, and I whimsical about his style. Yeah. Where well, you're not like, oh, it's the Wes Anderson thing. It like completely like the rest of the movie is so holistically in line with his creative direction that it doesn't really break it out. Like you're not like going like, oh, here we go, another fucking like symmetrical shot. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen many Wes Anderson films, I reckon people of our age might have missed The Dialogue Limited, which is great. Everything Um, before Moonrise Kingdom, you could easily have never seen or heard of. Rushmore's really good. Yep. And uh, The Royal Tenenbaums are three of his older films that are great. And if you've only really gotten in on him for... Isle of Dogs and Grand Budapest Hotel and the Life Aquatic and the Bill, Life Aquatic. Bill yeah. Murray. Um, yeah. Bill Murray's in a lot of the, a lot of the films with Wes Anderson. Bill Murray famously is very hard to get hold of in your film. He doesn't have an agent and he doesn't have a mobile phone or an email. He literally he apparently to, Bill Murray <laughs> you literally have to go to his house. He has a voicemail. He has an answering machine, and people he gives out that number. And if you want to get Bill Murray, apparently the way it works is. Um, you just leave a message on his answering machine and if he feels like working, he'll just listen to it, listen to your message and be like, oh yeah, what's that? And he's apparently Jesus missed out on he's apparently Christ. missed out on jobs several times because he just never got the message and was like, oh, I would have loved to do that. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, sorry, you missed this. But um, Bill Murray has said many times that there Wes Anderson... There are agents that would... Yeah. Th- there yeah. are agents that would actually have committed yep. <laughs> first degree murder <laughs> to be Bill to Murray's, be Bill Murray's yeah. agent. And I might like, be like, there are people out there who would not have, like, you, you'd stick two people in a room with, like, a broom and say, like, hey, last one of you to leave this room alive is Bill Murray's agent. There would be people under yeah. 10 seconds, <laughs> yeah. agents under 10 yeah. seconds that would have won and walked out of that room and been yeah. like, 
Where is he? <laughs> yeah. Right. So and I, he's I might got be a like, fucking answering machine. Yeah. So I might be like urban legending this a bit, but apparently nah, um, he says that like uh, Wes Anderson is one of the very few directors who he regularly works with who gets an instant yes. Like he doesn't care what the project yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. He'll just That's always cool. do whatever he it is. That, him. And um, Bill Murray, incidentally, has a cameo in this film where like the first shot of the film is this dude like running after a train that's leaving the station and it's Bill Murray. And um, it like it's a tracking shot of Bill Murray like running in slow motion for the strings. Like, and then the three main characters run past him, and the character the, ca- the camera catches the main characters as they jump on the train, and Bill Murray like collapses on the train platform. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Wes Anderson, great director. Where'd you it's watch a film it? I watched. I, I just I rented it and watched it at home. On what service? iTunes. Rented it for shout out to like iTunes. Three dollars or something stupid. Shout out to Apple. Yep. Shout out to Apple. Thank you, Apple, for enhancing my life and making me a happier person. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> Suck my big old dick, Apple. I don't know when you started calling me Apple, but I like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you watch anything this week? So, okay. We, we as, a, as a podcast unit. It'd be nice if whatever you watch this week could dovetail quite nicely into Jordan Peele's Us, which we're about to launch into a review of. Have you got anything else that he... So... We as a pod, and I use that in the collective term in the same sense as dolphins, <laughs> us two, a pod. A pod of fuckwits. A pod of podcasters <laughs> watched us, yep. Jordan Peele's 2019 thriller slash horror. Mm. I'm inclined to say thriller. Some people say horror. I'm going to give it a slash, but horror comes second because I agree more with the thriller. Now, <laughs> I think it comes to it comes, we... Yep. Thank you. Watched <laughs> us. Us. We watched us. <laughs> I, as preparation for this, watched Get Out, which I haven't seen despite universal critical acclaim. So that's Jordan Peele's 2017, 2018. Yeah, one of those. Thriller. It's a horror movie. They're horror movies. This comes back to I like... I reckon they're thrillers. <laughs> this comes back to like, if you weren't that I scared actually by it, it's thrillers. a thriller. No. no, it's a horror movie. No, I reckon... You can have sci-fi horror movies which invalidates whatever it is you're about to say. Watch me be wrong about something I said 20 seconds ago. Yep. I reckon if it involves supernatural forces, it's a horror. You're wrong. And if it doesn't involve supernatural forces, it's a thriller. Which would make... I want you to know that you just stop talking. Oh, there we go. Oh, uh, no. Nah. Because some of the stuff in us is unexplained and implied as being supernatural, I think. But yeah. any, anyway. I think that you've... Also, I'll caveat this. Genres are dumb, <laughs> but fun to talk about. <laughs> so, there we go. As, maybe that's what Christopher Nolan's new genre film was about. It's just a two-hour <laughs> long discussion and definition of what genre actually yeah, is. Yeah, it's just a Lego man which Christopher Nolan is because he has a square, <laughs> round, cylindrical head talking about how my films don't really fit into genres. I have no idea what Christopher Nolan sounds like. <laughs> Not like that. I watched it's more like, my films don't really fit into genres. Is he British? Yeah. Is he really British? <laughs> what do you mean? What a bizarre thing to lie with. April Fool's, <laughs> he's American. Hey. Gotcha. Listen, screen rant, you never know. <laughs> So I watched Get Out. Now, I reckon that um, a better way to have done this episode inadvertently would have been for (laughs) us both to have watched Get Out 
And then two have also seen Arsene to talk about that because well, I think that boy, there's... Boy, I've got for you, boy, but I've also watched Get Out. Well, there's a lot more... I feel like there's a lot more positive stuff to say about Get Out than there is to say about us. Yeah, I agree. So... Because we, us, you and I, we're a bunch of fuckers. Well, I reckon let's conclude for beaveness or pleasure. <laughs> and let's go with... Now we're talking about the real shit. You want to talk about us? The peel shit. You and I? The real peel oh, shit. The real peel yeah, the real peel. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, let's keep doing that even if we're not doing a Jordan <laughs> Peele movie. Just because I feel like there's not as many. I feel like there's more positive stuff to say about Get Out. I think so. Yeah. So let's like start talking about that, and then I guess we can get into us and explore a little bit of contrast between the two, and then talk about what we thought about Get Out and us. So. Yeah. The premise of Get Out, yeah. in my head, by the way, the reason why that last sentence was weird is because I mixed them up each like four times oh, in we'll, my head. We'll find out if we cut it out of show. I'll we can't it. now. I'll edit it. <laughs> no, it's going to be a through line for the rest of the last half hour. So, Get Out. <laughs> get Out. What'd you think? Oh, I thought you were telling me to... Um, no, let's get the fuck out so I can put this episode <laughs> by myself. Um, I really liked Get Out. I thought it was... Um, I, I I keep I've always said I'm not much of a fan of horror, um, and I to an extent agree with that in that I'm not much of a fan of like any supernatural or religious horror movies. I think most of them are done so they're very like I've heard. I've oh, heard you like Hereditary? Yeah, that's definitely the. I think the exception. I also liked uh, Twenty Eight. Days later. I don't think you and I have seen many horror movies. Twenty eight days later is one of my favorite movies, but it's more of an actiony, thrillery kind right. of right. It? No, it's. I mean, it's scary as fuck, but it's a zombie movie, which are almost their own genre at this point. So yeah. yeah I, point being, I've heard that they're extremely fun to direct, act, and write. So I think that's yeah. why they get made a lot, especially in lower budget movies, because <laughs> they're reasonably cheap. Uh, a lot of the costs come from like visual effects or special or like special effects, like <laughs> and especially if you do some clever packs. editing type horror movie where right. you never see the monster, it's even cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it follows. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, okay, Get Out. Um, I think it. So the premise is that there's a uh, this guy. Fuck, I'm not going to be able to remember. I think it's Daniel Kaluuya. It is. That's his. Act, that's the actor's name. I am not going to remember any character names. No. So Daniel Kaluuya's character is dating a white girl. Daniel Kaluuya, obviously black guy. Famously, a, white lady. a black guy. Yeah. So famous black guy dating white girl. Yeah. And uh, she says, "Hey, we're going to my parents for the weekend." And her parents are white and so he's like oh fuck okay it's this big like, old like white and she's person like, ranch house what? And, and out he, in the forest somewhere. yeah and the, he, his initial reaction is like well they're gonna be like they're gonna be racist like it's just like they're not gonna be like <laughs> they don't they're, i'm not saying like that they're that they're like racist it's just like they're not gonna know how to act around me yeah and uh, which is a common thread of people who grew up like that and they go there and the parents are basically exactly as is predicted, where they're like super welcoming, super friendly, a little uncomfortable and a little awkward. <laughs> well, like you're so well-spoken. Yeah. I would have voted for Obama again if <laughs> yeah. I could. Like that's a joke multiple yeah. times in the movie. Um, 
And I think Peel like really masterfully kind of like walks that line between um, making you sympathetic with Kaluuya as a character and also like his relationship with um, fuck and how he feels kind of like weirdly removed from the rest of the sort of white person society that's going on. Yeah, and, and and so like what what's unnerving about when he gets there is that he he sees uh, it was actually twenty seventeen I was wrong he sees two servants yeah I it's like it, the gardener and the gardener and a cleaner but I guess like servants is is a weird word um so he sees a gardener and the cleaner and they're both black they're like and the he's hell. like and then but they're also like catatonic and yeah, extremely so unnerving and 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 very like inhuman and he's sort of like he, he at his immediate response is like great of course this white like hyper suburban family has like suppressed black their, servants yeah, right right but then he talks to them and they act incredibly strangely and yeah. he's like well that's way fucking weirder than not, i thought yeah not that we're going to spoil get out but i think that, no, no, no. that there's a lot of like weird creepy interactions with the black uh sort of he- house stuff that definitely sort of give you this sense of unease as the film develops. And yeah. you're right that I think that Get Out plays this perfect role between terrifying and creepy and then also funny at times. And you definitely see that coming up again as this sort of tonal thing that he's going for with Us, uh, the new film. And I think that he pulled it off a lot better in Get Out. I think that Get Out, I don't know whether you'd have a better feeling on this because you saw it more recently. Get Out is consistently, when it's not being funny or setting something up, it's consistently scary the whole way through. And it's consistently unnerving or suspenseful in a way that keeps you interested. So, truly loyal listeners of the show will have heard our hereditary episode. Mm -hmm. And they'll know that despite the fact that we wouldn't normally think of ourselves as being like fans of films like that, that we both... I think you like didn't enjoy it, but I I, I really loved Hereditary. I no, I, I like it as a film. I just think that like it was <laughs> so you just scary. Never want to see it again. It was so <laughs> scary. It was abs genuinely terrifying to the yeah. point where like it it. I reckon I could list on on like one, maybe two hands, the number of films that have made that have like compelled me to cover my eyes while I'm watching them. Yeah, and um, I don't think Get Out is that scary. I, I, I had moments where yeah. I... Yeah, I was... Well, you sort I of have to pause it and go like... <sighs> extremely tense moments. Yeah. Hereditary is the most I've ever had to do that. Yeah. Gone Girl did it as well. So, it's not always like these these types of films. Yeah. Because I guess Gone Girl is crime and, in a way. And of but course, it's, it's different when you watch the film in the cinema where you don't have that luxury of pausing Yeah, it. yeah. I think in terms of what Jordan Peele was trying to respectively achieve in each film, yeah. he managed to achieve it a lot better in Get Out than he did with Us. I agree. I th- and I think fundamentally that meant that I enjoyed Get Out a lot more than I enjoyed Us. I think so. I think that he was going for very similar things with Get Out and Us. And I think that, yeah, I, I don't think he was going for a different thing. I think he was going for exactly the same kind of thing in both films. And I think Get Out's a lot better. I think that Get Out feels a lot tighter. There are um, before we launch too much into the discussion of Us. I think that Us sort of seems to be like it almost seems like he took three things at random that were good about Get Out and exaggerated them to detriment in Us. Like, for example, like he thought like Get Out was very funny. I thought 
And then us, the funny bits in us are even funnier. And then get out. Ha- I think I think us is. Oh, I mean, I, maybe it's no, because no, of no, us no, recently. I, I but I think us. I think I think like, I really like the dad character in the us, and I think that the interplay between the different family members as it goes on. Um, it's okay. pretty funny I agree But I felt like In terms of the pacing Of the film The funny moments Were forced into the plot Yeah and More so, than they were Yeah so, Exactly okay, And so I it's totally, like They're totally taking the funny you. bits And be like Let's get all the funny jokes yeah. In there And it's and like then, He's like, refined his sense of humour more But how yeah. he actually Fits us into the plot Isn't yeah. quite executed And then people well. People liked yeah. a lot about Get Out How it had this subtle Kind of political reading to it And this subtle Subtle kind of Underlying Like here's what he's trying to say um, And then that I felt like They put He put Put so many more little underlying things in us, and so many little breadcrumbs where you were supposed to watch it. And be like, oh, well, what does that say? That like you have no idea what the film means at all. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I think that those are two examples of things where like it was done very well in Get Out, and it was sort of done so much in us that it kind of spoiled it. So, if that makes sense, Get Out is a strongly metaphorical film about the experience of people of colour in current contemporary America. But I don't even think it's very, like, metaphorical. He very clearly addresses it. And I think that... It, it's it's overt at points. Similarly to... um, I feel like the, the tone and the, the pitch of Get Out is quite similar to Sorry to Bother You. Where, I actually like, listened to a review that compared those two re- today. Right. I'm very smart. So, <laughs> I think that Get Out and Sorry to Bother You are operating on similar levels of... Um, yeah, all of the characters are black, yeah. except the ones that are white, where we point out that they're white, which is actually one of um, Jordan Peele's like casting policies. He'll <laughs> he'll only cast a white character if the character demands that they are white. Otherwise, he will default to black characters, which is the opposite of most of Hollywood, which is great. But yeah. um, uh, I mean that Get Out is, is heavily metaphorical in terms of it, it being very overt, but this microcosm of one singular suburban house is strongly metaphorical of the general country of America. Yeah. So, you can generalize one Daniel Kaluuya's character, which Chris Washington is his character name, but Daniel Kaluuya's experience to the experience of a black person growing up and and living in America. Yeah. Um, And uh, Jordan Peele said in, in a few interviews that I watched where he sort of he made this film and he makes films in general where he writes scripts based on sort of thinking about a thing that he feels and then writing a script based on a fear that he has or an unnerving kind of sensation that he gets or or like an anxiety about living in the country that he does and he'll write a a kind of whole well-fleshed-out script on that. So I guess this is the idea of the racial tension that comes from city versus suburban and even like rural uh, families and... And obviously like the white and black culture type thing. Dating between cultures, exactly, yeah. that that type of thing. And I feel like he managed to kind of close off that that microcosm of that metaphor extremely well. Into like one small family and one little house over one weekend. And it's very elegant. It fits very well and there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn between the two. So while there are points that are over, there are also points that are very metaphorical. Also, and I watched another video on this, which I will will definitely link because this one was really good. It was a video where he answered questions that fans wrote in, but 
he's really into, and I enjoy this a lot, he's yeah. really into dropping like Easter eggs and literary allusions into his films. So like um, th- there's a, I think it's like uh, Room 237 from The Shining is, uh, 237 is a number that is referenced in a lot of films where characters sort of lose their minds. Yeah. And it's this number that's become associated through Kubrick or even maybe he used it. And one through through like Wilhelm scream type tributes through exactly. film to film. Yeah. yeah. And and, and um, Peel's a fan of doing that type of stuff, but he's also a fan of including almost like high school film analysis level metaphors. So things like um right at the start of Get Out, right? Um uh Kalu- character walks up, so they hit a they're driving to this uh, his girlfriend's driving the car to to her family's estate and they hit a deer on the road and she's like don't worry about it it's gone and he's he sticks around and he's like just hang on a sec and he kind of inexplicably walks back and kind of forces his way into the roadside forest and finds the deer and watches it die and that's and and his girlfriend is very off put by this because she just kind of wants to leave it and keep going. Um, his girlfriend, by the way, is and I I, I want to say Alison Williams plays Rose, his girlfriend, and she is an insanely good, fucking point. brilliant yeah. <laughs> for reasons that aren't apparent until yeah. like midway through the movie. Yeah. So she should be highly commended. I think she did just as good a job, if not um, the best performance in this film. But she acts weird about him going to look back at the deer because like it's not a a normal thing to do and you learn later that his mother was killed by i don't think this is really a spoiler but his mother was killed by a hit and run and him going back to look at this deer is fairly representative of it's like emotional connection he has his emotional that. connection to his mother also being killed in the same way like an innocent creature being killed yeah. and that later he doesn't die but that later becomes strongly metaphorical of him as an innocent being taken advantage of, just being plucked off the street almost, yeah. and and kind of thrust into these horrible circumstances without his control, or right? Whatever, yeah. And so it's like triple metaphorical, yeah. in in the way that it's represented, and um, that's that was overtly intentional as per interview by the director. Yeah, he. I won't go into the details. I'll just link the video because you should watch it because it's great. But he overtly loves dropping this like strongly metaphorical he's my kind of filmmaker where he likes <laughs> he likes layering things he likes using symbols he likes um not overtly handing the meaning of the film to you on a silver platter and kind of making you work a little and figure it out yeah and i feel like in us which is where the contrast lies he he wanted to do that and either and i don't know the answer Either he tried to do too many of that or too many people fucked with his original idea and got involved and it muddied the waters too much. I think it's probably the that, first one. That I, does not come well, out. Which Whichever of the two things it is, whoever's specific fault it is, I, I agree that I think Us feels a lot more unfocused. I was talking to a friend of the show, Callum, during the week, who was on our Jurassic Park Shout episode. out to Callum. I'm going to get hey, it back Callum. on. Um, yeah, and he was talking about how sort of echoing what you were saying in that Get Out felt concise and streamlined but was really good at what it was doing. Yeah. Like like you said, it was trying to, trying to get at all these different things and all these different parts of culture that he was trying to allude to 
but in a way where really if you're just watching it it feels like it's just a movie about this family in this little house on one weekend and it really feels like a small scale film that has a lot of far reaching implications and it sort of does it very well in a very concise manner whereas us kind of felt like he tried to expand it and sort of inflate that mentality out to sort of a whole world of film and didn't really have the substance to back it up. Like it really did just seem like he was like, oh, I'm going to dust a whole lot more breadcrumbs throughout this and I'm going to have this and this and this and this and this. Um, and it, it's, it's for me personally, that's, that's really disappointing because yeah. I would have loved for that to have stuck and I would have loved for it to have been this really... Um, I would have absolutely adored this movie if it had if it had been this singularly contained narrative that you could also read into and it had all of these metaphorical layers where like yeah. a lot of the antagonists in this movie wear like red jumpsuits and it's like why do, is that? Do the red jumpsuits mean something really strong and it's it's yeah. kind of like oh they could be this or they could be that but the film handles handles some of those in a very ham-fisted way. Yeah. Well so there let's there are- let's jump into what some greater context for what Us is. So we're going to give a bit, we're going to sort of more go into our review of Us now. Yeah. So Us just came out this year in 2019. But tying up Get Out. Yep. Get Out is on Netflix right now. Yeah. Absolutely watch that movie. Really good. It's scary. It's if you funny. have to choose between the two of them, just yep. watch Get Out. Yeah. I don't think that Us is worth your time. Yeah. Really. We'll, we'll cover more of that um, later, but, but watch Get Out. Yeah. It's great. And so I launch, regret delaying it. launching more into our spoiler-free review of Us, we'll let you know if we start to spoil shit, but for the moment, I think we're just going to sort of talk about the movie in a way that you'll get the sensation of if it might be for you or not. Yeah, we'll um, tell you if we think you should go see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, here's okay. what a review is, everyone. <laughs> um, I think that... So, one of the biggest problems with Us, and one of the things I liked about Get Out, was that Get Out was... It sort of had bits of the plot that might have needed to be explained and bits that didn't, and it was very clear about that. And by the end of the film, everything wrapped up completely and you understood what it was you needed to understand, what it was that was supposed to be left to mystery and what actually happens in the story and why things happened. Whereas at the end of Us, by the time the film kind of is supposed to be wrapped up, a whole bunch of shit isn't very clearly explained or anything and the problem by the problem with that is that there are plenty of supernatural horror films where things aren't explained very much at all it's sort of like look at all this creepy shit that's happening isn't this scary and that's fine and there are lots of sort of sci-fi or sort of more rigid horror films and i think get out might be an example of that where almost everything is explained and it explains very specifically what happened in the story. And you can go back and watch the film and be like, oh, so th- what, what I'm watching now is happening for this reason. And what I'm watching now is happening for this reason. Because of whatever twist or thing you reveal you've seen at the end. Get, Whereas, out, get out has a biological basis for its film. Yeah, so it has this yeah. sci-fi sort of thing at the end. And I think people were talking about similarities then between Get Out and... Um, sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. And about how they both have this sci-fi reveal at the end of it hey buddy yeah you listener yeah yeah if you're thinking about going to watch sorry to bother you do it do it <laughs> fuck that's a good movie um but the, the people i was talking about this review were talking about how they think that maybe the sci-fi the sci-fi twist was done a lot better maybe this is a spoiler the sci-fi twist was done a lot better in get out um in a way where it was sort of there more, is a sci-fi twist in get out yeah it's good more holistically integrated into the story yeah. in a way we didn't like, well, where the fuck did that come from? So, um, Oscar. But get out, sorry, but us. What is us about? So, uh, right, yeah, thank you, sorry. Us is about 
a You're welcome. black family in the modern day. It starts with a flashback with this sort of seven or eight year old girl who has a traumatic experience at a fun fair with her family. Like she's left attended, she wanders off for fifteen minutes or whatever, and she has this traumatic experience. And um, she's grown up under the shadow of this traumatic experience that sort of scarred her mentally for a few years or whatever. Um, and now she's an adult and she's going on a family holiday back to the same town. Coincidentally. Coincidentally, where this traumatic experience happened way back in her childhood. And her family now, so it's a... Uh, she's she's going got a husband, with her husband and... And her, a young daughter and a young son. A black nuclear family. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... The film starts, and this is in the trailer, pretty quickly, it becomes this sort of home invasion kind of horror film where four, like like another family, like invades their house yeah. and starts to sort of attack them and terrorize them and torture them in various ways. And that's kind of the horror element of the film. And it builds and develops and grows as it goes on. But fundamentally, that's what it is. It's kind of a slashery, violent, it's not really a psychological film, I don't think. Like, I think Get Out, a lot more was kind of creepy and psychological. I think this is less that. I think this is more this film, kind of gore and violence, if that makes sense. But in a weird kind of half-committed way that yeah, I'll get to in a I, moment. I reckon us kind of like straddles... No, straddles implies it manages both. <laughs> it, it sort of splits its resources between being creepy and horrifying, like and achieves hereditary. Neither, I think. Between being creepy and horrifying and... Between being like a slasher scream style, yeah, exactly. Like f- Friday the Thirteenth style, sort of home invasion, sort of being hunted yeah. movie, and, and I agree, it it, it, yeah. it achieves neither. And see, already that kind of sounds like you've listed off a million different things, and you're like, yeah, you're right. That's how it feels it, when it you're watching the film. Of all of like, them, right. so uh, back going back to, so but <laughs> also it's funny. Keep in yeah. mind, it's also funny. It's exactly p- right. Parts of this are blatantly immediately but, disrupted but, with with funny parts, and that's something else that um, Callum is. <laughs> Callum basically wrote me a nice little review here, which is lovely of him. But he was talking about how um, the for next example, twenty minutes will be reading it out like, verbatim. <laughs> like there's this tense, there's this tense confrontation between these two families where it really starts to sort of ramp up on the horror elements and you're like, oh shit, okay, here we go. Um, and then that gets cut by all these weird by these weird comedy things. And and so the yeah, film never seems to be boy, quite... Boy, did that not work. Yeah, exactly. Whenever this film, whenever this film intercut its comedy directly whenever it directly spliced its comedy into its horror it didn't work and i think it's a I was shame because instantly broken out of the film and yeah. i thought like fuck did you did your audience like did your test audiences say like oh this has gone on for too long i need something funny to keep me engaged or whatever like what the fuck were they just leave it you're, it's okay to just. It's okay to spend half an hour. Yeah, well, it, it being really tense. It seemed. It feel. It felt like the film was written by two people, and someone was like, oh, "I've got a great idea for a joke here," and someone was like, "I've got a great idea for a horror bit here," and they just right. left it all in. Yeah, and they were like, "Well, yeah. there has this horror this this comedy bit must stay." And I mentioned this and to the you at the guy time. Was like, well, then it yeah. ruins the tone <laughs> of it. And the comedy guy was like, "No." It's good. I've got to keep this joke I or whatever. I have to keep this. Yeah. And it's so, like, well, okay, we both lose. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so like the the film is really just these two families sort of battling out between each other in this little coastal neighborhood or whatever. Um, and going back to what I was saying earlier, one of the main problems is that with all these different horror ele- horror elements going on, 
Um, there are some bits of the film that are very specifically explained and happen for a reason. And then there are other elements of the film that feel a bit more supernatural. And it's kind of hard to watch this film and have those two elements coexist in the one film. Because on the one hand, you watch a bit and go, oh no, I understand what's happening here. Cool, this makes sense. This makes complete sense within the, w- the rules of the world. And then other times, there's weird shit that happens that's just never really explained. Yeah. And so you finish the film being like, right, well, what, what the fuck was all that stuff? And because there's stuff that it like focuses on and goes like, bah, 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 and like shows you shots of stuff where you're like, oh, that's going to come back later. And it does. And then at other times, it'll do the same thing and be like, bah, 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 bah. and it'll like show you this focus camera on a thing and it'll just never be mentioned again. And it comes back to this thing where Jordan Peele clearly is just trying to give you all these little breadcrumbs and things to spot and look at. Like the 1111 thing. I don't really like there's all sorts of little things like that where not to spoil it but I don't think many of those things are really paid off very well. Yeah, um, I mean I I looked up what 1111 so there's uh is it which which verse is it again? The Bible thing. Uh Jeremiah 11. <laughs> Jeremiah, thank you. <laughs> the Bible thing. Yeah, right. Fuck off. That, <laughs> you know that 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 ghost uh, book? It's, it's from the Bible. <laughs> um yeah, 1111 is I, I I looked it up thinking like, oh, that, that's got to be... And I looked it up seeking a link between a lot of elements of this movie that did not link up very well, and it did not link particularly well any of the contrasting elements that I wanted it to link. It didn't, here, here it didn't it is. solve any mad problems. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. So like right, that's Basically just some, an apocalypse verse. But it's just some smart ass little like, oh, here's a reference in the Bible that kind of sounds like what's happening. But it doesn't explain why but the problem is you can have that creepy shit happening, but there are other parts of the film that explain why this creepy shit's happening. And so then you can't be like, all right, well why was why was an eleven why was that on the wall there? So or whatever. My, my my fundamental issue with this movie is that it breaks the cardinal sin of not having consistent internal logic. Yeah. It doesn't explain if you if you want a film where you explain everything, you have to have a film where you explain everything. Yeah. And this film wants to be able to explain what it wants to explain. Yeah. But it also wants you to trust it on matters that you don't explain. And exactly. For me, and and also for you, and I feel like I have a much, <laughs> I have a much lower threshold of having this broken for me. Yeah. But for me, my suspension of disbelief was failed many times during this well, film where yeah. I had to kind of sit there and be like, well, why is, why is that? Why would this happen? Why yeah. wouldn't they just well, do this? I think the thing with the horror film is you can often have like, like get out has a few little mysteries to it and that's fine. Mm. But this has like the plot directly hinging on the mysteries sometimes and yeah. then directly hinging on shit they can explain other times. And it just comes together to be this muddy mess where you have no idea what's going on. I found myself being actively Bored yeah, you turned to me at one point and said, an, I'm bored out of my skull. For an hour. Yeah. Like an hour. Yeah. Where like during the main tension, action, horror part of the film, I was just bored out of my skull. And I think part of the problem was... Ca- caveat, know, before, yeah. I would love to hear why, but, yeah. but I wasn't bored, but I certainly understand why you would say what you said. Well, so here's one of the... Pre- so the main plot of the movie is this dark family, this, like, ghost, creepy family. Whoa. <laughs> so, the main plot of the film is this, like, the home, invad- the home invader 
like tethered family is how they were referred to. Yeah, yeah. Um, attacking the main character's family and sort of hunting them down. But you're not quite sure why they're doing that. And there's even this exposition scene where they explain their origin for two minutes and explain here's who we are and here's what we want. And they, but they don't explain anything. And folks, they really take the time to explain it's it. It's like a handbrake right in the middle of the family rocking up and invading their home. It's, it's like, like a family meeting it's where they sit in the living room and talk to each <laughs> the other characters about what's happening. are literally chained to the coffee, ta- coffee table along with the audience and forced to listen to this, this exposition yep. that means nothing. And, and then, you're right, they don't explain it all. They don't explain it all, but there's, there's even this like... The music stops and they say, here's who we are and here's what we want. But it doesn't mean anything and it's not explained. And then the whole time you're watching this family run away for their lives. But are they running for their lives? Because there are clearly moments where they could have been killed and weren't. But there are clearly moments where they were trying to kill them and didn't. And like, so I literally just had no idea whether like what was at stake or what these people wanted or like whether the main characters whether these attackers were trying to kill the main characters or just trying to hurt them, but yep. clearly they're not really doing it. like so. Just even from like a like a plot point of view, it wasn't clear what was going on. And in a horror film, that's crucial because yeah. you want to know what's at stake, what each character stands to lose, and what the villains are trying to are trying to go for. And even if it's just some completely unexplainable slasher type thing where it's just some psycho- psychotic villain, I want to watch the villain doing his utmost to get the main character and you didn't even see that in this film. Yeah, and it's, it's just fine the most befuddling the, shit where it, you're like, what the fuck is going it's on? It's fine if the villain is just like, oh, they're just pure evil. They're just crazy and they're trying to kill. Yeah. Yeah, that that's fine. But the, but the, they 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 throw away that. Yeah. And they say, "No, no, we've got something better. We're going to invent a motive." And then yeah. their motive is dog shit and half explained. Exactly. And so <laughs> in in this in this way, in this essay, I will. <laughs> in this way, the the internal logic of the film completely breaks down. It's inconsistent throughout, and it means that you can't. If you're looking beyond, literally, just what scene is going on at this point in time. If yeah. you're looking for any kind of consistent reasoning for why the events on screen are happening, you won't find it. And that really bugged me. Yeah. It it did ruin the movie for me, unfortunately. And here's what makes this all more frustrating is, and I don't know about you, I think that in general, though, the cinematography, the performances and the casting, the costuming, all the set design, the the soundtrack, everything about this film was honestly brilliant. I was just about to say it's such a pity because it feels like the rest of Jordan Peele's strengths are here. It's just that his script writing is not up to scratch. And I think this is what, because we're really going, we said Jordan Peele's movies a couple times. I I listened to a podcast about this film earlier today that was sort of giving allusions to Jordan Peele and M. Night Shyamalan, where M. Night Shyamalan released one great movie and has been riding on the coattails of that since then. Yeah. And now, I don't really know, and these people were talking about on the, the Funhouse podcast, about whether or not that's going to be where Jordan Peele goes. I it's really like, well, don't want him to Clearly, he's be. a talented guy, but he's really done that one good movie. So, I really hope his next one's a return to form, because honestly, this one kind of drove me crazy with how almost there it was the whole time. So, the, the performance, without shitting on Jordan Peele, the performances were brilliant. So the main character, the main characters by the wife and the husband and the two kids are all great. I thought that the husband was brilliant in this film. And he was hilarious. Like, so we can talk about the narrative arc a lot. And I yeah. feel, so part of the reason 
ordinarily, if we were looking like at a movie like um like Captain Marvel last week's episode, I think. Yep. No. Last narrative week's episode. <laughs> the narrative arc of that movie is total dog shit. It's unbelievably bad. It's obviously going to be bad. It's a Marvel film. The narrative yeah. arc of those films is always the biggest problem with them, right? Yeah. In Well, you can sort of easily forget it be like, yeah, sure, I don't care. I'm watching the action. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it at at its best it's unimportant. At its <laughs> at its worst, it's the worst thing about the film. Yeah. In Get Out the narrative arc of the film is brilliant. It's perfect. It, yeah. It's 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 not just adequate. It's actually innovative, and it, and like it perfectly complements the action and the horror exactly. in ways that enhance it. And I think the biggest failing of this film, which ties into Jordan Peele's kind of the 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 Harper Lee esque reputation that he set up for himself with his directorial debut of Get Out, is that he totally fails to. Yeah succeed to the same degree in this that and, he did in Get Out. And you're watching it feeling like he's consciously trying for something because he's got all yeah. these references and shit the whole way through the he film is. where he's clearly put some thought into it, which makes it even more frustrating. Yeah. Because if it was just some mindless action horror film, I think it would have been more effective and it would have hit its mark even more effectively. But because it seems like it's like, right, well, I know this guy's not an idiot. I know he knows what he's doing. So how is he just monumentally fucked this? And if he had done the Guillermo del Toro thing where he said this is my Pacific Rim I'm directing a scream movie I'm not gonna bother explaining why this movie happens to you at all yeah I am just gonna make you scared shit your pants in the cinema I would have been like Fine. Yeah. That the, I I I completely respect this piece of work as a as a director, but the fact is, it feels like he tried to compromise on a lot of different aspects, maybe yeah. compromise with himself on a lot of different aspects of this film, and it really loses out, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. So like, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like if people have seen it. They might want to debrief because my my <laughs> sensation and a lot of other people's sensation when they walked out of this film that I've listened to was that they they instantly wanted to talk to people about it. So I feel like we owe people a bit of a. I texted like three people. Were like, have you have you seen us? Have you seen us? <laughs> so I feel like we we should probably talk about this in the context of like people who have seen it wanting to kind of like form a form a twelve step program. To, <laughs> yeah, well, because it really does feel it. like you're missing something. You want yeah. you finish it and you're like. Am I stupid? The first thing I googled when I walked out of that cinema was like us 2019 analysis because I yeah. wanted someone to tell me but I wanted someone to comprehensively summarize what I missed in this movie yeah. and what I was what I was too stupid or lacking in my analysis ability to figure out about what was metaphorical, what was literal, how did all of the pieces of this movie fit together yeah. in a co- cohesive Uniform way that paints a total picture, like Get Out does. Yeah, and that, as far it as I did. have found, does not exist for this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly we're going to get into some spoilers a little now. Bit. I, don't, I don't think you can skip just yet because I got some surface level stuff to say. Right. I think that clearly on the surface, <laughs> all right, <laughs> us is it has some commentary about sort of classism. It does, and about um and racism. Typical, obviously. yeah, it comes with that. I think yep. I think Jordan Peele has sort of come out and said it's not really a racism kind of film. It's more of like a yeah, but he's try, not, he's trying to say something about it comes with it hand in hand. I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. But so it's um it's clearly saying things about sort of the underclass um and about classism and about the struggle of 
um, poorer people, for example, in America. It talks a bit about homelessness and that kind of thing in the very introduction of the film. So I think on the surface level, that's kind of what it's going for. But that's obvious the whole way through the film. Yeah. And there's all these other little breadcrumbs and things and all these other little references it's making where it seems like there's some sort of deeper symbol or metaphor going on. And I think that there's not. I think that maybe in Jordan Peele's mind there is, but it really kind of seems like there are far, there are, there's half of five different messages buried in this film. Yeah. Um, I can't... And it's just I, complete, it completely fucks the whole film. I, I, I think can't perfect, in good faith say yeah. that I, like... I could reach an understanding of what no. he had in his head. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I hope you're not right. I hope that we're just missing it. But I feel like he... Either he couldn't make up his mind or someone else that had creative yeah. control on the film couldn't make up their mind about the message because there's just not one consistent thing. And I think we've finally reached a film that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about where it's like someone's tried to like... Because it's like it seems like in Get Out, people liked how it was kind of about racism. <laughs> You're not and he right said, because of this yeah, one. No. <laughs> no, he said like... Because oh, Jordan Peele said in interviews, yeah, I'm going to try and get this sort of messaging kind of thing, like a yeah. cool undercurrent message in all of my films. And in this one, it's obvious that he's tried to sort of shoehorn something in, cram as much as he could in, and it just completely fucks the whole this film. This one fucks it up monumentally. <laughs> yeah, but it's such a shame because, as we said, the performances are all great. The comedy with the dad and the boat shit at the start is so, so funny. Yeah. I really love the dad being like overly enthusiastic about all the little holiday coast coast trip type stuff that's yeah. really relatable. Um the kids are really great. Yeah, it's child I mean, actors. The, you never get good child actors. This movie has moments of brilliance. Really, it does. Yeah, um, and like there are scary scenes, scene to scene, like the intro scene before the um, like us title card. I think is genuinely kind of creepy and yep. scary. Um, there are again scenes where it's kind of scary, but I think once the film really gets going, so there's this sort of intro sequence that's kind of creepy that sort of shows the her childhood thing, and then it flashes to the modern day. And it sort of sets up this family going down to the coast, going to this holiday house. For about half an hour to 40 minutes, it's not scary, but it's not trying to be scary. It's just like funny, and it's this little family drama. But once it sort of starts to get going after that, I was bored, and I think I wasn't scared once. I mean, yeah. It, it, On, honestly, I'm not like trying to... I, I honestly wasn't scared once. I was more annoyed and irritated. There, there, there were parts of tension, because like... I, I don't know what the difference is between being scared and being tense is. And it, honestly, it's probably a gradient where like being tense is, is being minorly scared. But um, in Hereditary, I was at points tense. And <laughs> for the whole of Hereditary, I was yeah. tense. At points, I was scared. Well, For the whole of Get Out, I was... Or at least for most of it, I was tense. Yeah. At this film, I was at points tense. So I would yeah. not say that I was particularly scared, but I, I'd also say like it didn't manage to command my fear in a way that Get Out does. Yeah, well, I think that for me, like a, a film being genuinely scary carries with it this sort of idea of foreboding and this sort of unease and this dread and this sort of, yeah, this uneasy sort of feeling of like an impending doom to, that's going to about to befall the main characters or something. So whereas like suspense is is suspense, I think is really like oh it, yeah, you you can kind of feel the tension when you're watching the film. I think that when you're watching the hor a horror movie, you're watching or you're about to watch. You feel like something awful is about to happen. Yeah, or like something that's like genuinely like 
life-ruining or life-altering for the characters on screen. And I feel like that's never really... I, I don't think I really clearly defined that, but it's never really... You never really feel like anything's at stake in I the think, film. I because, think the like only I said, point I felt that at this film was immediately after... And I guess we're getting into spoilers for like probably the first third of the film yeah. is immediately after the red jumpsuit family invades the, yeah. their home and properly invades their house. Yeah. They're sitting on the couch in front of them. And I, I thought at that point, something really bad is going to happen. Yeah. But spoiler alert. Sort of nothing does. And that's that's the first bit where there's this handbrake and she starts talking about fairy tales and their origin for yeah. like five minutes. And then there's jokes and then... but And then what happens, yeah. and this is actually quite an interesting literary device, but I would argue it's not a particularly good one. No, definitely not. Is that each individual family member is independently... Like paired... Pulled a white paired with their tethered counterpart, obviously literally tethered, but narratively... We haven't really explained what that is, but each attacker is paired with a member of the family and for the I purposes of the story. And I can't remember at which point it's explained why. During this... Oh, never, never. It's never explained why. I mean, <laughs> it's like, explained that... So, like, okay. Let's get into the, the spoilery so section. So, you reckon I from think, now? I think you know our opinion of it. Yeah, right. right. So, I, I think so that, now we're going to speak about the film as if yeah. everybody has seen it. I so think if you really are curious to watch the new Jordan Peele film, you might get something out of this and you'll sort of come away satisfied that you might have seen it and you've satisfied your curiosity. But honestly... Only, only watch this if you've seen Get Out and want... Mm. More and even than not yeah. the same But thing. like, honestly, the writing and the, the poor plot writing of this film was so detracting and distracting from the rest of the film to me that honestly I, I came out hating this movie. I think this is very overpraised, which is a rare thing for me to say. Yeah, about a movie. I, I I hated this movie when it came out, and thinking about it more, I thought more about what I liked about the cinematography of the performances. But like in the moment, I was having a terrible. I time think you were really disappointed, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just. It felt like it was wasting my time. Right like for a good hour and a half, a good a good hour in the film, I just felt like. I wanted to leave and I probably would have done if it wasn't for the fact that I was seeing it with the owners for the pod. Right. Yeah. So that's our appraisal of the, the <laughs> review section Sorry. of the film. I wouldn't possibly... Uh, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't in good faith recommend this to anyone. No, I, I would recommend watching Get Out instead. Yeah. That having been said. Spoiler, okay. spoiler, so, spoiler. Spoilers. If you don't want to hear the so, end of the movie, we're going to spoil it from now on. So as you would know, if you've seen it, the Tethered are forced to kind of be linked to their counterparts in the real world now because they're all clones every single tethered red jumpsuit attacker is a clone of the other family members so the dad has a clone the kid the dog they all they all have people who look identical and we've seen this at the very no because the very the beginning of the movie doesn't show you these clones do they it sort of alludes to the fact it shows you a one clone but it doesn't tell you that there's more than one it alludes to the fact that the main character when she was a little kid saw her clone and that's what terrified her so much that she was scarred for life so the fact that so so the the question you you instantly want to ask is right well does everyone have a clone not answered right right the clones at points in the film especially in the case of the little boy 
are forced to perform exactly the same actions as their real quote unquote counterparts. Yeah. Do they always have to do this and do all of them have to do this? Well, it's, no. It's There's kind no of consistency. It's, it's kind of implied that different people have different levels of psychological link with their clones. Right. And what so, causes that? Not explained. Yeah, no. So exactly. And so there's a little the annoying thing. So like in yeah. the ex- in the example there's, there's so many of those. Yeah, exactly. I won't so, go into any yeah. more than this, but just understand yeah. that level of asking this movie to be consistent mm. never happens. So the idea in this film, if you don't care and you haven't seen it, is that all the clones live in an underworld basement of tunnels and subways and shit below the earth. Not like, even that real, far below. They're, but they're like in like su- the New York subway. Yeah, Like right. they're not fucking... They're, they're not they're like, like hundreds like of miles underground. They're, they're like findable. But it's literally a staircases down. It's not some supernatural thing. Yeah, there it are, takes like 10 minutes. literal mines and tunnels and things where these clones all live. And like and the film, local news has never found this thing. And the film explains that the there is a government conspiracy where they tried to create clones that they could mind control or something. Yeah. Or something. Um, the or something is not just us yeah. skimming over <laughs> details there. It's basically or something in the saying. narrative. Um and they kind of fucked it, and so they just abandoned all these clones. But then somehow, every single person on the planet maybe has a clone. And whatever you do in the real world, theoretically, your clone is forced to replicate that and mirror your actions. Like, if you lift up your left arm, your clone lifts up its left arm. At points, but also, down. that's only true for some characters yeah. and not for others. And, so, and it's never consistently true. Yeah. It's only true when it serves the narrative so to be advanced. Weird shit like that is explained, and then sometimes it's not explained. There are all these supernatural coincidences that happen at the beginning of the film that makes the wife character really uneasy Such that a, are so never the, the, explained. Yeah, l- l- uh, Red l- or Adelaide Lupita Nyong'o's character it kind of starts initially that the main tension from the movie comes from her slowly noticing more and more coincidences and, and trying to bring this up to her husband, um, played by Winston Duke, who sort of says, uh, that's kind of weird, but I think you're probably overreacting. You're whatever, yeah. But is also still... Because, like, one of my main problems in these types of films is that the, the counterpart of the main character always is way too quick to accept this premise, where yeah. I feel like if you were... If you imagine being in a relationship with someone who someone is Someone is like, that terrified. you take it a bit more seriously. Well, you would take it seriously, but you would also not think that they were right. You would be like, let's go to hospital, right? Like, yeah. you wouldn't... You wouldn't... You, you ha- wouldn't assume... That the person that you are dating has figured out that supernatural things exist. Well, I think to be fair, in this film, he doesn't accept it until he's face to face with his fucking clone. Absolutely thing. correct. And but think- he still accepts it faster than I would have preferred. Yeah. It takes its time, and I really appreciated that. But a normal horror film could almost be the first 15 minutes of conversation where the person is like, This is happening. And the other person's like, eh, You're losing your mind. It's okay. Like they're doing hereditary. Absolutely, Hereditary gets that right. Yeah. Yep. So, this film approaches doing that correctly, but still backs out of it, and I think it for the worst. It's really annoying. <laughs> but um, this comes to a head in what we started talking about with the, the 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 mirroring scene in the dining room of the family with their red jumpsuit apparatus counterparts. And there's right. about five minutes of exposition where the red jumpsuit counterparts try and explain this government who cloning the, who program. Who are the that we've referred to, yeah. if you haven't watched it. Um, and, like, where they came from and what they want. Yeah. But they don't really. They literally, like, it sounds like she explains she it in the form like of this fable. fairy tale. Yeah. Like, there was once this girl who was a clone of a girl above the ground. Yeah. And then that sort of, this fairy tale Aesop's fable bullshit sort of finishes. And they go, right, now I'm going to attack you. And there's no, like... 
it doesn't actually mean anything. You go, oh, hold on. That was all the explanation I got. Right. And they sort of say, like, who are you? And they go, we are Americans. And then Which is one of that's the supposed most... to mean something. Right. But it doesn't. And, and, and the idea and behind... And it should. Yeah. But it doesn't. And I suppose, like, the idea behind the film is like, oh, no, but that's a reference to, like, oh, there, there are all these downtrodden people who are Americans, too. It's like, right. But but in the context in the, of the movie I'm watching... Yeah. It doesn't actually mean anything. And also, like, and this is a rare turn for me, but yeah. as a viewer, I need to have a guy. I'm okay to do a bit of work, yeah? Like, I'm okay to have to work a bit to understand what you're talking about. Yeah. But I need to end up with a convincing sense that either you were telling me something and I had the fault of not understanding it, or, and you were telling, you were feeding me a comprehensive idea that yeah. I didn't get, or you fed me a comprehensive idea that I understood because of my context. Yeah. Those are the two things that can happen for you to enjoy a movie, yeah. right? And in this case, I felt like it was feeding you an idea that was incomprehensive and expecting you to have a comprehensive understanding and fill in a bunch of gaps. And, and like, I didn't have the ability to fill in those gaps, and I would argue no one did. No. So, the, the gaps that it leaves are just too, too frequent, too great, too much of an inference yeah. for this to be even a metaphorically enjoyable yeah. film and about anything particular. I think that where this Because, obviously, film- it's about, like, lower class yeah. and, you know, the, like, how... I mean, the direct counterpart thing could be like, well, in order for you to be rich, you have to fuck over someone in a similar situation that was poor or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm, we're aware that you can draw those kind of comparisons, yeah. but it doesn't draw them. No. And it also doesn't indicate that we should draw them. No. And I mean, cause it's too bloated with other shit. Like, I heard other people talking about the idea, for example, that at the very beginning of the film, all the characters seem to be sort of giving up on a dream they had. Like, the wife used to be a dancer. Um, the daughter used to be a great runner and has stopped running. Right. Even like the the kid who's the little boy has like you know has given up on trying to get his little magic yeah. trick to work. Um, and they sort of talked about how you could maybe draw a line that like we all have um things in our life that we take for granted. And for the husband a wears of, like an Ivy League jumper. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all take things in our life for granted because we're in this position of privilege where we have we have the luxury to be able to dismiss them and give them up. And there are other people who would kill, literally, for the chance to have those things. If that but, was the thesis of the entire film, yeah. it would be better. You could have... Yeah, the whole film could have been a lot more focused on that and not had the weird supernatural shit, yeah. not have had the weird cloning shit or whatever. Um, it just, it just it seems like, like there, was a, there was a good movie in there and you just had to sort of trim it out and yeah. really sort of second draft the fuck out of this script. Yeah, because it felt like it was doing that. It, it felt like... this. Th- here's, here's what this movie felt yeah, like. We, we got, I think we're going to wrap it up. It soon. felt like there, there was one of those movies... Wh- sorry, one of those situations every 20 minutes. Yeah. But each one of those 20-minute segments of this movie was a different underlying concept. Like this was three movies. Or more. Yeah. yeah. So... For me, that that felt like a very unenjoyable experience. Yeah. I was constantly asking, "Am I, am I the problem here, or is yeah. it that this movie's not really doing very well?" And especially riding off the back of recently having watched Get Out, I thought this is so. Which one did you watch first? Get Out. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. No, okay. You would have been, <laughs> you would have been like the rest of the world. I was psyched up, disappointed. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and this was a really disappointing experience. 
there are some people trying to do some analysis, but like I read an article which which will link again um, from Variety. No, sorry, from uh, the Verge magazine written by Tasha Robinson, which asks a question about the ending. So, like the very end of the film, we find out that um, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If you care about the twist ending, super spoiler that the character that we've been watching all along. So, so Red is who we think. Adelaide is. <laughs> I don't think we've explained enough about the characters for that to make any sense. Right. Okay. When the so little the, girl, so the girl see- in the mirror, the, the 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 shadow version is actually who gets out because she strangles the little the, yeah. the real version and chains her to a bed. <laughs> when right. the little girl sees her double at the start of the film, and that's just a traumatic experience. What actually happened was the little girl wanders off, sees her double. The double takes her place and lives her life in the real world. Yeah. And the real little girl is forced into the underground world and sort of is tortured in the underground and grows right. up that way. And so when you see the shadow family rise up and try and take the place and murder the real family, it's actually um, the real little girl leading all these shadow people to sort of take over the world and sort of wreak revenge on these people that... But, so here's, here's a question. But that doesn't mean any... Then why did yeah. we spend five minutes of screen time in the middle of this film explaining... To the girl who was born in that underground sewer system, who grew up having throttled her counterpart, who the people in the red jumpsuits were. If the girl is talking to the clone girl, they both know what they're talking about, and they both know what's going on. They've both clearly formed memories of this happening. Why does she need to explain... To the other, because there's the a lot woman, of shit. The, I mean, the, again, I'm sure if I sat here and thought the, about it, it would make sense. But no, it's not intuitively. It doesn't, it doesn't intuitively it, make sense. It doesn't make sense. That is a that is the biggest detail I've ever been able to find about in in my like research yeah. of this film that that completely is unexplained away. Where you L- could have like Lupita Nyong'o, both versions of Lupita Nyong'o's character know what's happened. I mean, you could and say yet they still sit there for five minutes talking to each other about what's. You happened. could say the clone is trying to pretend that she doesn't know what's going on, but even then, you're like, right, well, you're still wasting the audience's time. And there's <laughs> no way that would be believable because this person has confronted you. You don't hold up that guard, like. She's been. I would believe again in a film. In films where you have like you know Batman has wings and the explanation is like oh it's an electric pulse that stiffens the cape and you're like fine Batman can fly. You could give yeah, me an explanation okay. which yep. is like this character has spent her whole life living this lie. She's learnt how to keep it up really well and maintain a great facade. As a kid, she had this like humanity kind of beaten out of her. She is very good at playing around, this emotionless yeah. kind of face where she'll just like play play act her whole life to maintain her spot in this privileged real world. So I could easily believe it. It's just, no, you're right. That doesn't make sense the way you're presenting it but now. But you're right as well. It's wasting the audience's time. Even yeah. if you manage to logic your way around exactly. it, which it's not very easy It's like, to do. right, well, it still didn't explain anything and it seems that you reneged on it later. Fuck, fuck this movie. Yeah. I, and this I think whole most- movie is an exercise in trying to do exactly what we just did if you want to even try and enjoy it. Yeah, no. And so, but the most frustrating thing is like scene to scene, all the dialogue is really good. Yeah. The performances are really good. Some of the cinematography, really cinematography is fucking great. Like yeah. there, there are moments in this film that could have been like, iconic cinematic moments yeah. like they were in Get Out. Like, Alison Williams playing R- Rose Armitage in Get Out, where she, like, uh, s- super spoilers for Get Out. <laughs> spoilers for Get Out. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. R- Rose, having that conversation on the phone where she is 
vocally hyper-emotional. But, but completely but deadpan. completely deadpan was one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen in my entire life. It's in really good. any cinema. Not, yeah. just, not just like in the context of the role that she's playing, but in any cinema where it's like, yeah. you as an actress have to vocally control your voice box in a way that that replicates <laughs> fear well, and anguish like and whatever Pixar voice actors commit to all the motions when they're doing it in a booth you watch someone do it and it's because you have the human instinct of yeah. when you're acting emotive you move your eyebrows you furrow your brow you like will will look un- unhappy or whatever yeah and she's forced to not do that it's fucking incredible yeah there are similar maybe not quite as good but Similar, Similarly impressive moments in the film. Right, in general, in yeah. in us. And unfortunately, that is just completely squandered on this yeah. massive a script. Yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, t- t- I really liked yeah. Jordan Peele's efforts in Get Out. Yeah. I really appreciated it. Uh, you know, like, I think him, I think Boots Riley, um, I think Spike Lee doing all of their films in the past four or five years have done such good work, but he really just dropped the fucking ball in this one. Well, I think to round it out, I think that we're probably safely out of spoiler territory at this point, so welcome yeah. back if you skip through to the end, uh, <laughs> through our spoilers. Um, I think it might be fair to highlight the fact that we enjoyed parts of the film by saying perhaps what your favourite scene was. For me, I think one of the greatest action scenes in the whole film where I was really enjoying it was the boat scene. So when the oh, father yeah. and his clone are fighting on his beloved little shitty boat um, on the lake near their house. I thought that was really good. I think it was a perfect combination of funny and suspenseful and action-packed. It wasn't really scary, but I think it was a good mixture of the funny and suspenseful that sort of really highlighted to me what the film was going for. I also really liked the opening sequence. If I had to pick a favourite scene, it would probably be a mixture between those two. I, Have you got a favourite scene that you can my, highlight? My favourite shot in the entire film... I'm going to give yep. three answers to your one question. Good. My favourite shot in the entire film was the shot of the rabbit cages um, slowly pulling out where it starts with a, a, a white rabbit and then it reveals more and more and more and then three of the rabbits in each 11 are, are, are black. Uh, I think that worked really well and it established such a creepy scene vibe. Where the rabbits just keep going and going and going. And right, go- yeah, and you're right. like... What what are these? What are these for? Yeah, okay, it goes to like, what is this? To what is this? How are okay, so what many could this possibly be? Right, and yeah. it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, there's so many life forms sitting in the one place. Like, what are they being used for? And then it cuts. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't tell you. I really liked that. I think that my favorite scene. It's almost like the setting up shot of a Christopher Nolan movie, where it sets up like the um, like even the Prestige with like the Are oh, you watching closely? So yeah, it yeah, just yeah. Cuts. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it gives you a lot less than those tend to, but but yes, uh, in, in a similar way, it kind of gives context to the whole film. Yeah. Um, I liked the scene outdoors when they confront the uh, crawling monster kid in front of the flaming car out the front of that their old really house. That looked cool, actually. Because my favorite thing in these kinds of films and what I've always fucking said since I was quite young about <laughs> horror movies is that the scariest thing is when the thing that you're running from has no reason to run from you. And it yeah, doesn't and true. it doesn't need to hide in the dark because I think that darkness is a hack technique in horror <laughs> movies that should never be relied on. I think it's no, a I, crutch. I, I, I think it's bullshit. I think darkness is inherently scary. Yeah. And if you do it well and you're not just doing like jump scares, I think 
everyone's to some degree was or is afraid of the dark. Here's a hot take. Jump scares and darkness are scary for the same reason. And I think they're both bullshit. I think that I reckon if you, if you can it, make something scary in broad daylight, that is fucking scary. I think a quiet place would have been a lot less scary if it happened during the day. Yeah. So I think the good parts of a quiet place don't rely on the daytime. I think that the, or the nighttime. I think the nighttime and the suspense and the unknownness that inherently comes with a horror film are complemented by darkness. But yeah. I definitely understand what you're saying no, about tack. Tack shit. Bullshit. <laughs> so, if anyone can make a horror movie that takes place entirely in the dark, you'll have in the Entirely the during the daytime, you'll have my respect. And I think the creepiness... I think it's impossible. <laughs> but it's very the, difficult. the creepiness of this scene yeah. from the the, the 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 daytime, the aesthetic, it reminded me a lot of um, the video clips uh, that Kendrick Lamar... And yeah, yeah, with the flaming car and everything. Yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, Childish Gambino have put out recently. Um so I, I, to the point where I wanted to look up the cinematographer and see if he worked on both because it was so similar, but maybe it was just a influencer or not. So I really liked that bit. Um, my favorite bit in Get Out was probably the, the performance either of the maid's face slowly being backed out from where she kind of in had Get to Out, go right, between yeah. Get Out in Us. Um, uh, yeah, the, the the performance of um of Lupita Nyong'o was 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 pretty good throughout but like honestly every positive that us had i reckon get out managers to do it at some point or other better i agree a fun fact that i heard on the funhouse podcast that i haven't checked the twins in the white family together played ross's baby in friends Oh, really? Yeah. Sure. That's funny. <laughs> there you go. There you um, go. I also thought, just as a quick nod, Tim yeah. Heidecker and... Um, Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss played really good. Yeah, they were good, yeah. Um, Tim, I'm just a big Tim Heidecker fan. I felt... I'm actually a massive Elizabeth Moss fan. I really, in Mad Men, I couldn't... I, I don't think, like... I think she creates the character that she plays. Yeah. Um, I thought she was... Really fine, but not great in this. I agree. Tim yeah. Heidecker's character is pretty good. Yeah. Um. And I really like him in Tim. And America. it was a good dynamic and this good, cool rivalry between the dad character and the main family and Tim Heidecker's character. I thought that was funny. If this film had had an "It's Free Real Estate" line <laughs> in it, it would have been <laughs> "It's Free Real Estate." <laughs> <laughs> My movie of the year, but it didn't have that, so it's shit. No. Yeah. Um. I think it's probably about all the time yeah, we have left from Beef Station. I don't really have much of a better than worse than. I think this film What's is definitely worse than Get Out. Absolutely. It's honestly the least fun I've had in a cinema. In a <laughs> It's time. worse than Get Out, but also it's worse than Hereditary. Yeah. Um, I so, think if you want to watch a heredi- really... Hereditary just got put on yeah. Netflix. Oh, really? Go watch that instead. I think if you want to watch a seriously terrifying horror movie, watch Hereditary. If you want to watch a film that balances the line between being really scary, but it has also fun, funny bits in it, there's nothing funny about Hereditary. Get Out's more your flavor. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, like, yeah, it's also doing the... Um, the people of color thing as a quick nod it 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 really plays off the version of uh, the the trope of like the black character dies first yeah um but yeah like cabin in the woods does the humor thing better yeah because that's like a subversion of the whole horror genre like there's just nothing nah, that this film there's nothing does. redeeming about this film uh, honestly because, and because I'm, of how much I'm, it fucks the I'm plot i'm so disappointed about that yeah um, so i think this, i think this is the the worst film we've watched 
in a little while on the podcast. I think we've loved a lot of the movies we've chosen to watch. I think this has been the biggest sort of surprise turn for us. It's definitely up there with the most disappointed I've been. About I really movie. expected to love this. Yeah. 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 Same. Um, <laughs> and on that, on Fucking that real bummer of an ending, <laughs> thanks for joining us for another week. If you'd like to email us or get in contact with the show if you disagree with what we said or if you'd like to share your thoughts with us this film's um, been really highly reviewed it's getting uh, like yeah, 8 out of 10 9 out of 10 it's all, it's across all the people board, thinking so they're too stupid if and you've got something. a reason why you think we're dumbasses yeah please tell us thanks for um, Pat and Callum for getting in contact with me during the week and letting me know what they thought about the film I think they both sort of said pretty similar things about it trying to do too much stuff so yeah, thanks okay. I sort of gave me something to think about uh, during the week if you'd like to get in contact with the show the email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com if you'd like to like us on Facebook and join in discussion there we keep you updated on all the new episodes that's facebook.com slash beefstation I think that's it isn't it yep have a great week I'm Oscar Andrew see you later <laughs> <laughs>